Welcome to On Mission, the teaching ministry of the Mission Church in Urbandale, Iowa. We exist to love God by loving others, leading them to become fully functioning followers of Jesus Christ. Today we conclude Mike's message on Luke. You can find this statement in Isaiah 29, verse 13, but Jesus quotes this. He says, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. This is a This is a heart posture that has been a problem for people in general since Jesus came. Sadly, though, it's becoming a growing concern in the church. People who honor Him with their lips, but their heart really is far away. So many professing believers live under the delusion that if they profess something with their mouth, it's the same as doing it. Believers will say, well, let me say it this way. Professing Christians will say, I believe in prayer. Absolutely. Prayer gets things done. I believe in prayer. Oh, but don't ask me to attend a prayer meeting. Don't ask me to actually pray with any of my brothers and sisters in Christ. I believe that God owns everything. And I believe that my position in all of this is just, I'm just a steward. I'm just a a temporary manager. That's great. That's the right way to believe. But, but then the response comes back, well, but don't ask me to give of my time or my money. There are people who would say, I believe that, that through Jesus, God released me from an incalculable sin debt. I mean, my debt was so big, you just don't know how wicked I was. And he forgave it all. Praise his holy name. But don't ask me to forgive someone who has sinned against me. I know and my, the alarms are going off in my brain right now. I know that I'm, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm coming across as though I'm a judge. I mean, I'm up on this stage and you're down there and I'm looking down and I'm a judge. So I don't want you to think that way because that's not the way I'm actually thinking. In fact, let me just, be, let me, let me just uh, have uh, full disclosure that I am as guilty of this as anyone in this room. That's why I can talk about it so authoritatively, because I know what it's all about. I am guilty of living like my profession is the same as my action. I'm guilty. So I don't judge you. I judge me, because I can see it in my life. And now I have to offer the second truth point, one that I don't like, one that goes against me, but it's true, so I have to offer it nonetheless, and that is this, that words without corresponding action is an impotent profession. Words without corresponding action is an impotent profession. Listen, we have to come to grips with something that's very important, and I want to bring it before you right now. We need to come to grips that to say that Jesus is the Christ, I'm pretty confident everyone in this room would say that. Pretty confident almost everybody would probably say that. That if we're going to say that Jesus is the Christ, then we have to understand that we're actually saying that he is God incarnate. And when we understand that Jesus is God incarnate, we we need to understand that as such, He calls for our whole commitment. He he calls for our complete devotion. He calls for us to give Him our whole heart. He calls for the throne of our life. 
He doesn't call for a little prayer. He doesn't call for words of affirmation about this doctrine or that doctrine or the other doctrine. He calls us to literally walk with Him, to follow Him, to prefer Him over ourselves. He knows we can't do that perfectly, but the call is there. And we need to acknowledge that that call is there. And we need to understand that Peter could not make the profession that he did and then just walk off and live his life however he chose to. And that's the ramification. For him to say that meant that he had to now surrender his life. He had to give himself to the Lord Jesus Christ. He could no longer be Lord of himself. He had to now be follower of the Lord. His profession came with consequences. His profession demanded his commitment to Jesus. And it's no less for us today. Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? And today he asks the same question of us. Who do you say that I am? And again, hold your tongue. Before you answer, before you respond, ask yourself this question. The answer that I'm about to give, is my answer just a theologically correct response? One that I give because my parents, my pastor, My Sunday school teacher said it's the correct answer. Or is it the conviction of my heart that is actually backed up with active surrender to walk in his steps? Please understand, I didn't say backed up with perfection because the man who made that profession denied his Lord three times. He wasn't perfect. He was a loud mouth, jump from the hip, speak from the hip, shoot from the hip kind of guy. He got himself in more trouble than, you know, anybody I know except me. He just always was shooting his mouth off before he thought. He wasn't perfect. Nowhere even close. But he was genuine and he was sincere in his heart. He knew who Jesus was and he knew that he needed to surrender to him. Whichever way you go with the question... You must understand that there are ramifications to your response. If Jesus is the Christ, then we must honor him with our life choices, not just with pious words that drop from our lips. Well, after Peter's confession, we find that Jesus had a couple of things to say that was very shocking to those who were following him, and even today causes us to sit here and scratch our head. There are two things that he said in this passage we're looking at that were very uh, unusual. The first thing he said uh, was that um, they tell no one about their discovery. Peter has just made this confession, you are the Christ, that's who I say you are. And of course, he acknowledged that. We see in in Matthew, he acknowledges that and says, you're right, uh, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. Uh, And so he acknowledges that you're right on target. And then he says, don't go and tell anybody about it. That's weird. How many of you would say that's weird? Well, the rest of you are just checked out. (laughs) Number two, he revealed that his Messiahship would lead to his rejection by the religious elite and that he would die and on the third day he would be raised to life again. You would think that that would be encouraging, but my guess is is when they heard the word die, they stopped listening and they started thinking about that. 
So I think the question that we all want answered, in fact, if I don't answer these kind of questions, it's the kind of questions you usually come up and ask me after the service. So let's not do that. Let's just go ahead and get it right out there right now. The question we all want answered is why did Jesus insist that his Messiahship be kept secret? I mean, didn't, I mean, didn't he want people to know? And knowing, didn't he want them to follow? Well, yes, he did. And for two and a half years... Jesus revealed through his teaching and through his miracles that he was the Messiah. But for the most part, the masses really enjoyed the miracles, especially the healings and the food. But they didn't so much believe the Messiah part. And at the same time, in that era, the masses were charged up about having a political social reformer as Messiah. And so I think what Jesus is concerned about here is that if the disciples begin to proclaim his identity and do so sharing how they came to the understanding and of all of the proofs and all of the evidences that were there, if that happened, it was highly likely in that, in that situation that an insurrection might ensue, and that the people might come and forcibly, as they have already done in the past, try to make him king. And of course, at this point in time, that would have had devastating results or consequences on his trip to the cross. The truth is, the time to embrace him as Messiah pre-cross The time to embrace him as Messiah before he went to the cross had passed. The cross and the resurrection had to become reality for the masses to be able to embrace him as Messiah again. And so that's why he tells them, don't tell anybody. It'll come out. It'll be evident. It'll be spread to the whole world. But right now, don't. Keep it to yourself because it could have really bad consequences for my ministry. And then there's this comment that he made about suffering and dying. You know, the disciples were convinced of his Messiahship. We see this in the text here today. But they did not comprehend that his Messiahship meant giving his life as the sacrifice for the sins of the world. That they really didn't grasp. Yes, Jesus, you are the Christ. Yes, you are the anointed one. You are the promised one. You are the Messiah. But they did not understand that the plan of the Father for that anointed Messiah was for him to give his life in payment for the sin debt of the world. They didn't understand that. In fact, their minds are fixated on the kingdom that Jesus has been talking about. And when in the world is it going to come? We're ready. We're ready for you to get the crown. We're ready for you to sit on the throne. We're ready for you to rule the world. And we're ready to be there and do it with you. So what's this talk about dying? If you die, how would the kingdom ever come into existence? I mean, they're thinking like human men think. And that's how all of us think, isn't it? Jesus, if you die, it all comes to a close. We can't do anything with this. There'll be no kingdom, there'll be no king, and we'll live under the Roman dogs for the rest of our lives, and our children, and our grandchildren, and our grandchildren's children will do the same. That's what they're thinking. They don't understand. Truth point number three tells us this as it relates to the wise, that there is a time and a place for everything. 
There is a time to release information, and there's a time to keep it close to the vest. There is a time for proclaiming truth, and there are times when you just need to hold your tongue and wait. There's a time and a place for everything. And before the masses could embrace Jesus as Messiah, he had to give his life. It would not have been part of the Father's plan for them to embrace him as king and put him on a throne, and that's that. He had to die. He came, he came to give his life as a ransom for many. Secondly, before the fullness of the kingdom could come, Jesus had to be raised from the dead. He had to be raised from the dead, and he had to ascend to the right hand of the throne of God. Well, even today, 2,000 years later, the time has yet to come for the full revelation of the kingdom. But can I say to you that from where I stand, it seems as though the evidence is pointing to us that it's pretty close? I think so. That's what the evidence seems to say to me. So if it is close, are you ready? Are you ready for Jesus to come and be king? Are you ready to live under his righteous rule? Are you ready to serve him, to love him, to honor him, to give him your all? Are you ready? This is On Mission. The Mission Church is located at 12001 Ridgemont Drive in Urbandale. To learn more about our ministry, visit our website at themissiondsm.org or call us at 515-255-2122. We gather for worship each Sunday at 10 a.m. We would be honored for you to join us. Have a blessed day, and thank you for listening to On Mission.